totally football show today. More packed than Arsenal's bags as we round up Champions League, FA Cup, Europa League, Barcelona's Iniesta Day, Salivate over the PFA Player of the Year, and ask after Koulibaly's encounter with La Senora got Naples all excited, will they end up sore? All that plus your questions and things in the Totally Football Show. Well done for choosing Totally Football Show for your football information, which today comes out of the mouths of Ian Irving. Hello, James. Welcome back, Ian Irving. I'm back, yes. Boom. Daniel Story's back as well. Good morning, James. And he is returned. It's Raphael Honigstein. Guten Morgen, Mandy by James. There you absolutely go. What a weekend of action. Just crazy stuff. And we got some really big games coming up, as I mentioned, midweek as well. But we're going to begin today with the FA Cup semi-finals, Wembley, the destination for Man United, Chelsea, Southampton and Spurs and Ian Irving. You were there on Saturday, Ian. I was, yes. Yeah, All was... right then. Man United, actually pretty good. I think so, yeah. And um, I've read a lot and seen a lot in the in sort of the interim period since where people are just creating the narrative that Tottenham are, have choked again at the semi-final stage. But... I just think on Saturday they were beaten by the better team, to be honest. Um, I think that Manchester United didn't start the game well, but as they came into the match, certainly after Alexis Sanchez equalised, I thought United were the better team and, and they, it just it just sort of, sort of played out that way, really, to be honest. Mm. Why were Spurs so much better in the first half, though, than, than in the second? Just because United didn't let them be anymore? Well, I don't even think it was the first half. I think it was only really the first, what was it, 25 minutes, something like that, before, before the Sanchez equaliser. I'm not sure why that was. United defensively didn't look completely settled. Smalling and Jones had not played together that much recently. Maybe that maybe there was something in that, possibly. But in terms of the way the game went from from Alexis Sanchez's goal onwards, I, I thought it was Manchester United's match, and they they deserved to they deserved to go through to the final. Of course, Dyer hit the post, and maybe if that goes in, it's a it's a different football match. But the way it played out, I thought that that was the right result in the end. Mm. In the last two months, United have come from behind to beat Chelsea, Manchester City and Spurs. That's impressive. How much does this have to do, Rafa, with the evolution of uh, Andres Herrera as a kind of on-field Mourinho? I thought he was good rather than outstanding um, in the game. I think he was a little bit lucky not to be punished a bit earlier for what seemed to be a series of transgressions. United are a very efficient side and awkward to play against and I think that was borne out by Spurs. And I completely agree with Ian. It's a little bit too easy to say Spurs have bottled it Mm. and all this because they weren't really favourites to begin. Um, And that was before they left out Alderweireld and Lloris. Yeah, I mean, I think Lloris, you could say, well, I don't know if it backfired or not, but Vaughan didn't have a great game, I felt. No, but my bigger point is that Spurs do not are not favourites for any of the competitions they play in. Right. So then if they get into the latter stages and they say, well, now they have to win, and if they don't win, it's a failure, that, that doesn't really make any lot make a lot of sense. I mm. mean, they are out-punching relative to their, to their wages most teams, and I think it's a little bit too easy to create the psychological frailty narrative. Right. Daniel, you agree with that? Yeah, I, the only thing I would say is that uh, and Jan Vertonghen referred to it after the game when he kind of said, this is the best team I've ever played in, but we don't always get what we deserve. I think that I agree with Rafa that we have to take a step back and look at Spurs in the bigger picture and look at where they've come from under Pochettino and where 
Pochettino hopes they are going. Um, but there have been a number of cases within both within matches and within seasons where Tottenham have got themselves into a position of dominance and not push through with it. Or against um, Juventus, against exactly. West Ham. Absolutely. Um, and against Manchester United. Having scored the first goal in, in a big game, top four teams would hope to see out that game. Also, as Lady Bracknell might put it, to lose one semi-final is understandable. But eight in a row, Rafa. Yeah, but you can't blame them for what happened in 1990 no. or whatever no. it was. Uh, <laughs> first first one of them in 2010. None of these players were there. There's a different manager. Um it's a great stat, but I don't think it says no. anything apart from the fact that they are not necessarily one of the two teams that you'd expect in the final. Mm. And that is the bigger message here. I, I, Getting to the semi-final in itself is is slightly above where you'd expect them to be or exactly where you expect them to be. Looking at the odds beginning of the season, they were seen four favourites to win the cup. And, you know, that's, that's exactly where they've ended up. Can I just say one thing? Sure. Um, I think... What was apparent, and slightly painfully so, was just how little depth there is in this squad. I think we said throughout the season that if Spurs get one or two injuries, they really struggle. They haven't really got these injuries by and large, um, apart from Kane missing a few games. But just when they needed a little bit of inspiration, all the players that came on did very little, actually played into United's hands by being all centrally operating players. And, you know, on the other side, you have... Rashford and you have Martial. I mean, there are still huge differences in terms of the squad potential and 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 depth between a Man United and a Spurs. Even if Spurs have a more, you could say, functioning um, full eleven when everyone's on their game, there is still no comparison with a team that spends two to three times as much a year on players. The only question for, and it's a question probably of Pochettino as well as the players, is whether Tottenham are so suited to playing as we talked about Manchester United, this underdog role, um, that when they do get in a position of dominance, whether that's at the moment a position that's unknown and therefore they're not used to maximising that. But I think it would be unfair not to focus on the positives at Tottenham. All right. Is the real question here the fact that since Harry Kane stole a goal from his teammate Christian Eriksen, Spurs have lost against Man City, drawn with Brighton, and now thrown away the lead against Man United, he's, it's... He's not, as, sorry, Daniel. No, no, um, he's not fit at the moment. He was almost limping against Manchester United. He's appealing for that goal aside. That was obviously because he's desperate to win the golden boot. And he's also desperate to win the golden boot because he wanted to get back from injury as soon as possible. If, if Tottenham's season was over, he would not have come back as quickly as he had. And he looks barely half fit at the moment. Anyway, Spurs' season largely is over now because that was it, really. Uh, United, on the other hand, will progress to the FA Cup final where they will face Chelsea, who saw off Saints 2-0 in what you, Daniel, described as a mercy killing. Uh, an Eden Hazard-inspired mercy killing, yes. Mm. Um, he. It's hard to criticise Southampton, although they didn't try and win the game. They, they sat back, waited to concede the first goal and then decided to try and play for five minutes before conceding the second. But... Eden Hazard was on it. Um, he was magnificent. He inspired it, but the finish from Giroud, like a like a bleary-eyed dad at the top of the stairs with a 
yeah. with a floor full of Lego to negotiate. <laughs> yeah, I described it as a tiptoeing burglar, yes. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, um, but, uh, yeah he, was, he, it, was it? I mean, it was really nice from him, but uh, it was also quite comedy from Saints. Yeah, it looked like this, the first scene from Saving Private Ryan, sort of bodies throwing themselves everywhere around him while he sort of danced around them. It was, yeah, it was brilliant. But, but Hazard was by far the game's best player. He... When he's in that sort of mood, the only thing an opponent can do is make contact with him and foul him. And three three Southampton players were booked for doing that. Um, the more norm, the, you know, the the norm is that he dances around them and they kick thin air, and that's what they did for the most part. Yeah. All right. Well, FA Cup final. You mentioned he gets the nod up top as Jose Mourinho faces Antonio Conte yet again. That's a bit tasty, then, eh? A little bit of narrative there, Ian. I guess so, but they both tried the best to pour as much cold water on oh. it as possible before the second league game, and we all sort of were quite disappointed with that, weren't we, considering the way that the uh, that the sort of mind games and um, training of insults had gone. But Now, this is just Joseph's way of showing respect. You completely misunderstand <laughs> what's going on. Mm. All right. Calling him a voyeur next, just to, just to pay him a compliment. Yeah, that's one man who really is going to miss Arsene Wenger. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, so much to talk about today. Champions League semi-finals, of course, but after this, we'll be talking about Sunday night when the big story was in Italy. Listeners, our partnership with Paddy Power helps to keep this podcast free. And speaking of free, when you join Paddy's Rewards Club, every time you place five bets of £10 or more on any sport in a single week, Paddy will give you a free £10 bet the following week. Sign up now at paddypower.com. T's and C's apply. Max £10 bonus per person per week. Specific odds required. Exclude shops and cashed out bets. 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Juventus taking on Napoli. Why are we telling you about this now and not in our dedicated Golazzo show? Because it was just so huge. And not just the match. There was almost a detail in all of this. James Horncastle joining us. James, this began on Saturday in Naples. It did indeed, with what, an escort for the Napoli bus. I think there were 1,500 fans at the San Paolo, then 2,000 waiting for them at Capodichino, the airport. It's crazy. This is what it sounded like outside their stadium. Remember, they're playing about 3,000 kilometres to the north. Mm. And then this is what it sounds like at the airport as they try and get off the team bus and struggle through this kind of haze of smoke and flares to just to check in for this flight north. Just the biggest game. Remember, the previous weekend, at one point, they'd been nine points behind Juventus. Now, all of a sudden, they could get to within one point of the serial Serie A winners. If only they could win in Turin. The only problem was, when was the last time they won in Turin? Nine years ago, uh, Jimbo. That was even before the Allianz Stadium had been built. Um, so it was always a bit of a, uh, a voodoo ground, if you like, right. for them. This was seen as now or never, not just for this season, but for the, for the team as a whole. Because the expectation is that you know, Dries Mertens might go in the summer, that Pepe Reina is going in the summer, that Mauricio Sarri might come to England or he might go elsewhere. So for, for this team, it was their last chance um, to go for it and win the title. Mm. And Sadi had been very careful on what, Wednesday night when they came back behind from against Udinese to basically say, you know, we have realised our objective this season. We have qualified for the Champions League with six games to spare. Um, that's all we wanted to do this season. So what we want to do now is just have a bit of fun. And uh, I think they had more fun than they bargained for uh, at the end of that game at the Juventus Stadium. Absolutely. So Juve very much have come with a plan, which is a draw is fine for them. They'll just sit back and control everything. 
Which was foolish, I think. I mean, they never looked comfortable. Rafa thinks this is outcome bias. But when Chiellini went off after, what, eight minutes after trying to play yeah. on, and you just thought, the more he plays on, the more Juventus are going to suffer. He was a liability for his team. The changes that Allegri then made, he basically said, you know, I'm not going to bring on one of the centre-backs that I've got on the bench, Andre Bazzali, experienced World Cup winner, or Daniele Rugani, who's one of the best young centre-backs in Italy. I'm going to basically make Huvedes, who's the right back, go and play centre-back, bring on Lickstein. They never look comfortable. Juve didn't, for the first time ever at that ground, mm. for the first time I think since 2012, yeah. they didn't have a single shot on target in a home match. But equally, you thought that when that, with that, was it a free kick went in at the end and it just went past and out for a corner, but you thought that was the last chance for Napoli. But instead, it was um, Callejon who almost got his head to it and it goes out for a corner. And instead, Callejon then goes to take the corner. And in the 90th minute, this. Ecco il suo cross in aria, Koulibaly! Yeah, Napoli going crazy there effectively. And on field, it's a similar thing. The players are, are running around almost like they can't believe it. It's like they've won the last Champions League final ever. <laughs> yeah, and Juventus beffato, as, uh-huh. as they say, again right at the last yeah. when there was no time for them to do anything. Uh, but it was a magnificent header. I don't know if you saw Ian or, or, or Daniel. Yep. Absolutely uh, hammered His that one home. His nickname is uh, K2, because mm. uh, obviously the two initials are K and K, but K2 is the mountain, and Koulibaly is a man mountain. Nice. They say he wrote 2.89 metres off the ground. Is that right? He was when he was connected with the ball. Yeah. It was a hell of a jump. Mm. The clash, significant, not just because of the, the fact that it brings Napoli one point behind Juventus, but also there's that massive regional thing, the north against the south, the power against the... Not empowered, um, and, and other great kind of phrases like like that. Yeah. But downtrodden, the downtrodden power against the people, isn't it? The yeah. power against the people, that that whole Che Guevara thing. But then they can't even fly home because the airport is just so rammed with fans. Two in the morning, I think they they mm. finally touch down, and there's there's talk of there being twenty thousand fans there to greet them. A reminder, they are one point behind Juventus. (laughs) And look, Juventus have a a very difficult run-in in in that they have to go and play the Derby d'Italia next week, away to Inter at San Siro, and Inter are chasing Champions League. They won at the weekend. They have to play Roma at the Olimpico on the penultimate uh, weekend of the season. And Roma are part of that same Champions League race. Exactly, and that's four days after the Coppa Italia final, which Juventus are playing um, against Milan. And if Milan wants to get into Europe... They kind of have to win that game as well. Um, for Napoli, um, it's not exactly straightforward. They have to go to Fiorentina, where I don't think Sadi's ever won next week, although uh, Fiorentina lost back-to-back games, got a few suspensions, a few injuries. They go to Samp, and Samp have been brilliant at Madassi um, as well. Oh, yeah, but it's kind of funny that two of Napoli's final four games come against teams that absolutely hate Juventus, Fiorentina mm. and Torino. But there's, there's no tradition in Italy of, no, of, 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 of no. in any way letting no. those kind of off-field decisions affect your performance. All right, no Chiellini, presumably, for a He's while. extended his knee, yeah, which yeah, so, could rule him out for the season. Yeah, well, that could be a factor. Will he okay. miss the World Cup? <laughs> Almost certainly. <laughs> All right, well, Paul Scholes is my hero, says... 
was that Koulibaly winner cruel for Napoli because it gives them hope? What do you think, James? Who's going to win this title? You know what? I think Napoli are going to win it now. <sighs> I do. I think Juventus the at the moment... first in 28 years it would be since the days... It took a Maradona to, to, to win them the title against the powers of the North last time. Mm. But you think Sadi could bring it home? Oh, I think this is all a great kind of scheme from Netflix, basically, to tell Juventus to keep this championship interesting so that the next three episodes of that Juventus series they drop are, are you know, pretty exciting. Right. So... Okay. Excellent. Well, James, since we have you here... After all of that drama, let's quickly move on. We'll hear more about what's coming up this weekend and the Derby d'Italia in our Golazzo show on uh, on Wednesday when we'll also be reacting to Liverpool's clash with Roma. Mm-hmm. So much history here. Roma warming up for this with a 3-0 win away at Spal. Yeah, perfect afternoon for them, really. Uh, a question from Raz Softlad. Okay. As a Liverpool fan, how worried should I be about Roma at set pieces on Tuesday? You should be worried because obviously we saw Liverpool at the weekend watch two goals from corner kicks um, and Roma have scored 15 uh, from set pieces um, so far this season. Um, so I think that's an, certainly an area where Roma can hurt um, Liverpool, maybe get themselves uh, an away goal. I think they should be equally worried about uh, Cengiz Under as well, um, who has surprised a lot of people in that he's replaced Salah. Um, obviously, he hasn't been as effective for them um, as Salah has been for Liverpool this season, but has made them miss him a little bit less. Uh, someone who's very quick, um, two-footed um, as well. And Dzeko's come up big for them away from home in Europe this season. I think he scored probably one of the goals of the Champions League this year with that uh, volley, was it, against uh, Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Um, so... They're confident. I, I think they did not expect to be here. They did not expect, obviously, to come back from 4-1 down against Barcelona. And the games that have been really kind of quite tricky for Roma so far this season, we're talking about teams that park the bus, teams that are sort of mid-table, um, fighting against relegation. They've swept them aside um, since that Barcelona game. Genoa, Spal. Um, and it's really focused the minds um, of, of this Roma team. And... You know, Di Francesco was kind of lamenting the kind of lapses in concentration this team had earlier in the season. Well, that's gone now um, because they're all kind of, they, they completely buy into what he wants for them. They've seen it's working and and they know that they're, what, 180 minutes away potentially from a Champions League final. So just go for it. Mm. And the last time they were in a Champions League final, what happened? <laughs> they lost to Liverpool on penalties. So, yeah, that is a traumatic event in Roma's history. Yeah, it is a open wound. Um, I believe we'll be talking about that on Golazzo no? on on Wednesday. So better keep our powder dry. Think we will. All right. Yeah. What 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 do you guys think? Liverpool's result this weekend not as impressive, uh, allowing a two goal lead to slip against West Brom. No, that's true. Um, I read some of the the quotes from Virgil Van Dijk after the game, though, which I think will give Liverpool fans encouragement. He was talking about this idea of there being quite a large inquest in the Liverpool dressing room after that game about how they let that lead slip towards the end. Of course, he had one eye on that Roma game. The team selection from Jurgen Klopp uh, had an eye on that as well. A much changed um, sort of back lineup, albeit the same goalkeeper, Carrius, who was probably a, 
at fault for at least one of the goals. But in terms of the way Liverpool have defended of late, they've been so much better, so much better. And it, it actually predates Van Dijk's arrival as well for me. When Klopp changed towards the end of um, the last calendar year, his midfield around and changed the triangle there. So you've almost got two sitters rather than one. Philippe Coutinho's departure actually has probably helped him in that regard as well to, to keep the midfield shaped like that. The arrival of, um, of Oxlade Chamberlain's been great for that particular system too because of his dynamism in there. And obviously he's offered goals going forward as well. But of course, Virgil van Dijk coming in has made a huge difference as well. I don't think you can overestimate just how much of a difference his communication has made to that back line because mm. in the past that's probably been the biggest criticism of Lovren and Matip and Van Dijk's just made everyone around him look better Robertson stepped on since then Trent Alexander-Arnold's been miles better Jordan Henderson's played better the goalkeepers look better mm. it- can carriers do a, a Phil Collins wobbly leg thing though that's, <laughs> I'm not sure I presume he's practising at Melwood yeah? that, okay. that exact thing you have Liverpool as strong favourites by the side of it Ian I think Liverpool are favourites strong favourites is a difficult a difficult statement at this stage of the Champions League because of the similar to sort of the Napoli stuff as well because of the emotion that's mm. actually invested in these teams at this stage you look at what Roma have achieved in the last round as well so to say that Liverpool are strong favourites is probably difficult but I'd say on balance Liverpool are favourites to go through yes Daniel yeah I, th- I think it comes down to to Salah versus Kolarov um, Kolarov has actually been very good this season particularly in comparison with his Manchester City form but it's clear he likes to push forward. Um, it's clear that Mohamed Salah has been given an alleviation of responsibility in terms of tracking back. So with Fazio next to him, who also has unsuccessful history in England, if Salah gets any sort of space and, and if, if Firmino can take away at least, you know, take Fazio slightly out of position, and then there's massive gaps in behind Kolarov potentially. And that either Kolarov and... Um, will it be Perotti on the left? Yeah. Yeah, him, them doubling up on Trent Alexander-Arnold or Salah finding space in behind, I think is probably the what will turn the match either way. And to be honest, I think Salah has that. Mm. I, I love Alexander Kolarov. Not so much his footballing <laughs> ability, but his character. He was such a fantastic person to cover when, when he was playing for Manchester City. Just to share a very, very quick story, which hopefully doesn't dilute the tactical analysis too much. <laughs> the first time he interviewed Kolarov, he walked into what was a porter cabin at City's old training ground at Carrington, just down the road from, from where Sale Sharks, the rugby league, uh, the rugby union team, train and near to Manchester United's ground as well. It was very much sort of the poor relation to United's training ground back then. Uh, he came in and there was, there was a few of us sat waiting to interview him. Uh, and he had on just his own sort of T-shirt. So the press officer at City said, sorry, Alex, could you put this, uh, this training top on? No. So no, no, you know, all the uh, all the players they have to wear the training socks. No, I'm not wearing it. And he looked at me and very, very slyly, and very subtly, gave me a little wink. So I knew he was on the wind up. Not wearing it. Okay, okay. So then he's sort of like, right, I'll forget that. Then there's two interviews to do for television and one for radio. I'm not doing the radio one. Why not? He only told me there was two television ones. No, no, there's three. I told you there was three. No, no, no. I'm doing these two. And then sorry, my friend, he's saying to the radio guy, I'm not doing this interview. So then he sits down, he says, Alex, you, you have to do the three interviews and you have to put the training top on. So he just sort of sighs, looks at him very coldly and says, I will do the interviews and I will wear the training top, but you tell your family to sleep with one eye open this evening. 
and then left it probably just long enough for everyone to be slightly concerned whether he meant it and then burst out laughing, put the training tap on and did all the interviews with a massive smile. Lovely guy, really great guy. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I feel feel mean now. I've got a colour of anecdote, but it doesn't really compare. Um, I saw him in Jekko at Schumann's, which is kind of the infamous hangout after Champions League games, uh, when Bayern played Juventus a couple Uh of years ago. And they they were very happy, shall we say, uh, singing old songs from Yugoslavia together. Nice. It's really a, yeah. All right. Who's who's going to be on song, do you think, then on Tuesday night? Well, the interesting thing is that you would think the last thing you want to do against this Liverpool team is to give them space, uh, leave yourself open for um, their amazing three attackers to hurt you and to run at you. But James is convinced that Roma will really go for it. I mean, I find it very hard to believe. I think that would be suicidal, a tactic. But if if Roma do that, then I just cannot see how they can live with the pace and the, the fluidity and the movement that those three guys come up with. Um, I don't think any team right now plays with so much fluidity in the final third between these three guys. You don't know where they're going to pop up. It's very difficult. Even if Kolarov, you know, has a good day, against Salah. Salah can just move to the other side and move centrally and then all of a sudden he's up against Firmino and he makes something that he doesn't anticipate. So I think it's going to be so, so difficult to contain Liverpool. I, I, I make, I make them re- favourites. I don't think Roma can rely on their defending to, to stop them. I think that's why they have to keep Liverpool busy at the other end. No? Yeah, but I also think they believe that uh, they defend best when they have a high line okay. and they stop the opponent at source. Hmm. Um, they did that against Barcelona very well. Remember that Barcelona's two best pass combinations that night was Semedo the right back to Gerard Piquet the centre back and then Gerard Piquet the centre back to Testegen. they forced them back all the time and you know people will say that playing a high line against Liverpool is suicidal and to some extent you can agree given the pace that they have got but they've done it against the likes of Hazard who's not exactly slow they've done it against Griezmann who's not exactly slow so the system might change because I don't think they'll play the back three that they did against Barcelona because going man for man against that front three (laughs) is very dangerous Um, but the philosophy I think will very much remain the same James many thanks hope you enjoy the game on Tuesday we'll catch up of course on Wednesday for Galazzo but just before you go as a treat for coming in today We've all got little packets of adhesive goodness. Yeah. Mmm, panini stickers. Let's open our lunchtime panini. Oof. Ooh. Wow. Rafa, who have you got? Are you collecting, I've, by the way? I am collecting. Well, my daughters are collecting. Right. I'm just helping them a little bit. How's your album going? <laughs> it's going really well. Um, but although, I mean, Panini always insisted there is a complete random allocation, but I don't believe yeah. it because I still haven't got a single Italian. Not funny, Rafa. It's pretty funny, it's isn't too it? Too soon. Too soon. Well, anyway, on the subject of Panini, here is producer Ben. Listeners, the World Cup is just around the corner, so it's time to step up your preparations and brush up your knowledge with the official 2018 FIFA World Cup Russia sticker collection from Panini. Panini's been creating iconic World Cup albums and stickers since 1970, and this collection is their most comprehensive yet, featuring the best players from all 32 teams taking part in international football's flagship competition this summer. Whether this is your first ever Panini album or, like us at the Toti Football Show, you still proudly flick through your completed collections from Mexico 86 and Italia 90, you can't beat that feeling of tearing open a packet and seeing what's inside. 
There are five stickers inside every pack and you can get them at all good retailers now. What's more, this time you can complete a digital version of the album via Panini's free app. Find out more at fifa.com slash panini sticker album. That's panini spelt P-A-N-I-N-I. And get tweeting using the hashtag gotgotneed. Bayern are taking on Real Madrid, Rafa, in the other semi-final. Again, it's the most common fixture in European football. 25th time. Classica. Yeah, Real, it's the European seventh, Classica. Seventh time they've met in a European Cup semi-final. How well does this usually go for Bayern Munich? Well, up until not long ago, they had a pretty good um, record. But the last few games, the last few ties have gone Madrid's way. The semi-final in 2014, famously when, mm. when Pep changed the system and got absolutely outplayed by Carlo Ancelotti's Real Madrid. And the quarter-final, Carlo Ancelotti then at Bayern and lost against Zinedine's, um, Zinedine Zidane's Real Madrid in the quarters. Have, am I right in thinking that Bayern have been knocked out of Europe or out of the Champions League in the last four seasons by Spanish sides? That is absolutely correct. But who was the manager line. when they last beat a Spanish side Ooh, on their way would to... Would it be Jupp Heynckes? Yes, and who was the last manager who was in charge when they actually knocked out Real Madrid last? Jupp Heynckes? Also Jupp Heynckes. Yeah, so Bayern, Bayern take a lot of heart that this could be a different story. They are not quite as amazing on the ball. They don't dominate games as much. They haven't quite the same kind of machine-like um, stranglehold on their opposition, but they've become a little bit more efficient when it comes to getting results, even when they're not at their best. So... Right. It kind of bodes well for this game, but I would still say that Real Madrid, because of what they've done recently and because of the pedigree and, and the quality of their squad, are, are still favourites to, mm. to go Even for. after the way that Juve managed to control them? Well, again, that, that gives Bayern a bit of heart. The problem for Bayern is that they still, um, going into the last month of the season, they're still not quite sure where they rank in the grand scheme of things because they've had uh, a pretty easy group when... They were first beaten by PSG heavily, then changed manager, and then beat a BSG side who turned up with very little to play for in the last group stage game. And then, of course, they got really lucky uh, in the draw with uh, Besiktas and Sevilla. So this is the first real test. Um, and last year, they weren't quite up for it, even though you could say they were a little bit unlucky with some of the refereeing decisions, etc., and Vidal getting sent off. But I think they need to do something quite extraordinary to go through. And... Of course, what happened in Juventus game, what happened in Roma, Barcelona, again shows them, you know, we can, as the underdogs in inverted commas, can maybe find success this season because it is that kind of perhaps slightly different season in Europe this year. Mm. Sergio Ramos, who's missing uh, for the yeah. clash against Juventus, will be back for this or is back available. But, of course, it's hard not to see this as Lewandowski against Cristiano Ronaldo, two of the, the premium, the premier goal scorers in European competition. That's the biggest task for Bayern, isn't it, really, to stop Cristiano Ronaldo? I mean, I think we sat in here and discussed Real against PSG before that happened, and I sort of said a similar thing. So you might just want to go back to that and repeat exactly the same. Because What would you say? Because How do you stop Ronaldo? No, he, he just rises to these occasions mm. like, like no other player. Yeah. yeah, and Nine goals in his last six matches against Bayern Munich. Well, a hat-trick in the quarterfinals mm. last year as well. But you just look at the way he took that last minute penalty as well and you know as well as Juve had done and obviously everything that goes with that the way he just disconnected himself to the whole situation was remarkable and to be honest that you just sort of see him doing the same in the in the semi-finals and, mm. and ensuring that he can carry his team through really right uh, Rafa is this going to be a, a particular game for Lewandowski against the club where he's going to be playing his trade next season uh, you're being a bit presumptuous there I mean he has employed the service of Pini Zahavi uh, ostensibly to make that move happen 
but I think there is no guarantee that Real Madrid will actually go for him. They will go for at least one, if not two, big players. But I think if you're Real Madrid, you'll probably wait a little bit longer to see who the big star at the World Cup is, to see the kind of you know player who excites everyone. It's, it's always very political when they make those big signings. These guys have to fit in. Um, can he really play with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, who's become a centre-forward? I mean, I think that is a big question that I'm not sure Real Madrid have resolved. And where, you know, how would that work with two number nines? I don't think, I don't think you can play like that um, anymore. So I don't think it's necessarily a foregone conclusion. And of course, Bayern will still have to really carefully weigh up any offer that comes in and see if they want to stick to their official line, which is absolutely no way. And we don't, we don't sell and they have, they have not sold a player against their will. Mm -hmm. Um, since Michael Ballack left in 2006, everyone else, they were quite happy to to sell at that point. So, I mean, at the same time, they don't want to keep a Lewandowski who's clearly not motivated. And one, one or two signs of the last few weeks that he perhaps wasn't quite on his game. They're, they're not a selling club. That, that's probably why they're called Bayern Munich, is it? Excellent. Uh, Rafa, speaking, uh, continuing our, our Bayern-themed chat, how excited are people about Niko Kovac coming in as, as manager? I'm reasonably excited. I think um, everyone's willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. He's done some amazing work at Frankfurt, but this is a manager who will, for the first time, coach a dressing room full of big stars, cannot play the same kind of muscular, quite reactive, quite defensive at times football that he did at Frankfurt, will have to find a way to play twice a week. It's a big step up for him, and I think everyone agrees that deep down he was not even second or third choice. And he has to show Bayern, well, prove to Bayern and to the fans that he can do a good job. I think... First choice the, the was squad, who, The first choice would have been your Pankers continuing. Uh -huh, Second choice, I think, was Thomas Tuchel. And he's definitely going to PSG? Yes. Okay. I mean, Bayern's squad is such that perhaps even a very passive uh, manager who doesn't do anything, somebody like Carlo Ancelotti, could win the league which he did. Um, so I guess they have a lot of confidence that nothing catastrophic will happen. But whether he can take them and raise them to the sign of the levels that we have seen mm. uh, and perhaps need to go beyond with if Bayern are to change in Europe, that is a big question. OK. Uh, another question I have is how excited should we all be about Jadon Sancho, who scored his first goal, laid on super a couple excited, of assists? Super excited. That he is. Touch. He was... Uh, on fire um, so in this that is, game against sorry, Leverkusen. Th big third place kind of battle between yeah. Dortmund and Leverkusen. And Leverkusen were the informed team going into this game. They'd pushed Bayern all the way in the cup uh, semi-final. Um, really created lots of problems for Bayern. And they come to the Dortmund team that's been a little bit hot and cold, a little bit vulnerable at the back. But Dortmund, courtesy of Jadon Sancho and a few others, completely steamroller them and have their best performance of the season. 4-0. Um, he's the youngest ever English professional to score in the Bundesliga at 18 and he showed just what an, an unbelievable amount of potential he has there was a line from Peter Stöger afterwards that, that he kind of um, oscillates a little bit between genius and uh, madness and we see, have to see more of the genius side I think like many young players who are very technical and very gifted he sometimes overcomplicates things tries to do the fancy stuff too much but uh, what a talent and what a, what a great game from him and from Marco Royce as well, who was also outstanding. Right. 
18 years old. This was, you say, his first goal, which is surprising with the talent that he, he shows that he hasn't scored before this. But I guess that's that oscillating. Yeah, and he hasn't started that many games. Okay. I mean, that was one of his rare starts in a big game. Right. The goal was it was good, but that, that touch with the outside of his boot to set up the first goal, extraordinary. Yeah, to take in stride when it's coming kind of over his shoulder, but also slightly, well, behind, completely behind him, effectively, and yet managed to take it in stride with... It wasn't even with the outside foot. It was almost with his heel, how he took it. Yeah, it's really, really nice. His, his talent's never been in question, though, at City. That, that was never the issue. They always knew that he had in, incredible amounts of talent. The issue at City, actually, was, was his attitude and application. So if the change of scenery has worked for him at Dortmund, then clearly, I think it was just £8 million that they paid for him, then clearly they've, they've got a lot of potential on the hands in this player because in terms of the way that City viewed him he was very much one of the most promising players in, in their whole setup. Do you think there's any way that Gareth Southgate might take him to the World Cup? No. Okay. No, I, only because I think if he's going to take one seven, 17, 18 year old that's playing really well at the moment he'll take Ryan Sessegnon. Okay. Mm. With Fulham. Yeah. Super. Excellent. Alright, well the other European semi-final coming up this week is of course in the Europa League or well, two of them duh. And we'll talk about those games after this. Listeners, now that Man City have the league tied up, you're after big news from other areas, and we don't mean the ups and downs in League One or League Two. So brace yourself. ShipStation, America's number one e-commerce shipping software, is now available in the UK. Why is that exciting? Well, if you're selling online, you want to get your orders out quickly and keep your customers happy. And that's where ShipStation comes in. ShipStation imports your online orders from anywhere you sell, from eBay to Amazon, even your own web store. Print shipping labels for all major couriers right from ShipStation. That's Royal Mail, Hermes, Amazon Fulfillment, DHL, FedEx and UPS. So whether you dispatch one package per day or thousands per week, ShipStation is the shipping software for you. You'll get your orders out fast and keep your customers happy. Happy customers mean more orders, and that is good for business. Try ShipStation free for 30 days, plus get a special bonus when you use the promo code TOTALLY. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in TOTALLY. That's ShipStation.com and the promo code TOTALLY, T-O-T-A-L-L-Y. Hmm. Arsenal taking on Atletico Madrid at the Emirates on Thursday. What a massive game. Massive, and I'm just crazy enough to say that Arsenal are the favourites for this. Yeah, I I came on this show last Monday and said I fancied Arsenal to and Liverpool to win their European okay ties. Um, Atletico have been weirdly passive in their recent games. I know they rested players against Betis at the weekend and drew nil nil, but they lost three nil at I think Sociedad before that. Um, they were it didn't look that good against. They Sporting. were dreadful against Sporting in that mm-hmm. second leg. Um, and there is a, a suspicion that although the timing of Arsene Wenger's announcement clearly wasn't thoroughly pre-planned, um, it's given Arsenal a little a boost without that being insulting to Wenger at exactly the right time because clearly the supporters want him to win this trophy as a, as a, as a way of walking to the sunset and any player that doesn't want that should not expect to be at the club for much longer than this summer because the supporters will demand that they produce their best. Well, a 4-1 performance at the weekend mm. against West Ham. Rafa, you're frowning. I'm not frowning, but I'm thinking that the, the idea that Wenger's announcement will now lead to some kind of improved levels of performances has been slightly disproven by yet another really dull um, Arsenal performance and terrible atmosphere at, at, on, on Sunday. 
it'll probably be different. Was on it Thursday. terrible the atmosphere? It was. Well, there were there were a lot of empty seats still. The idea was that because it's not people not buying tickets, it was a sellout. It's that season ticket holders aren't turning up, and right. there was a there was a hope that season ticket holders would turn up for these last few games as kind of farewell tour. I'm sure they will for the Burnley game, which I think is their last Premier League home game. It's Burnley, and they will on Thursday. I've no doubt. Right, but this was a, I mean this is a derby against West Ham, an impressive scoreline as well. Were you not impressed? Uh, with the they weren't. They weren't very good in the first half. The first half was was dread as as all Arsenal home games seem to be at the moment. The first halves are poor. They've actually scored three or more goals in the last six home games, but the first halves are normally poor. And then they wear teams down. They they bring one player off the bench who changes the game. And on 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 Sunday it was Pierre Aubameyang off the bench who yeah changed the game. But can't brought, play on Thursday. No, brought more out of Lacazette, which is the positive ahead of next season because since um, Aubameyang's arrived, Lacazette's effectively been told or shown that he is playing for his starting place next season alongside Aubameyang and has to make that work. And he scored, I think he scored... Six in six. Now. Yeah, 40% of his season goals in the last seven games. Right. Um, so he has done that. I think there's there's two issues. I think Atletico are built for European football. Even when they're not great, they, they get results um, in a different way to their local city rivals, but just almost just as effectively. And you just think they're the worst possible team, really, to play... The, against Arsenal, um, who are the opposite. The only, um, the only thing I would say is that the the injury, and it, it looks certain he'll be out on Thursday, to Diego Costa is is huge psychologically for Arsenal because they have not liked playing him in the past and he has he has undermined both physically and psychologically, he's undermined Shkodran Mustafi and uh, Lauren Koscielny before. So true. that is a huge thing. It's true, but on the flip side, it would give Griezmann a lot more freedom just mm. to play on the shoulder and just to play more of a counter-attacking style. Um, what I found really interesting, I mean, I wasn't there at the Emirates, but just listening to people who were and reading some of the reports is, I, I think you saw a big disconnect here between what we in the media felt was our duty almost when he when Wenger announced his retirement, was just to go back to the very beginning and outline his legacy and outline all the positives. Um, but I don't think it left that much of an impression with Arsenal fans because they have been doing all of that for the last five years already in the head again and again, thinking back of what, what he used to do and thinking, actually, yeah, that's great, but you know, what's what happened since? Mm. And um, so I think that kind of positive momentum that we thought might be created so far hasn't materialised because also, of that. He's also leaving ostensi- now ostensibly because of Arsenal's away form, not because of their home form. And the season digger holders that aren't going to the, some of the home games will be going to the away games. And that's where Arsenal have been wretched this season. And that's where if Arsenal play brilliantly in their next away game, then it might show that they're turning up. But winning, scoring three goals at home to the Emirates was happening before Wenger announced his departure and and after so no you mentioned the decision being not entirely pre-planned mm. and indeed there doesn't seem to be a definite decision yet on who's going to take over what's your thinking in who do you think is going to come in or any of you actually i think that arsenal need uh, this is probably a popular opinion that a lot of people have said but having covered the story closely i think that arsenal need to take a leaf out of manchester united's book i don't think that they can afford to appoint someone who is not the closest thing to a surefire pick as they can get. The reason Manchester United, in my eyes, now are on course to finish um, in second place for the first time since Ferguson stepped down, who who could win, um, if you ask Mourinho, four pieces of silverware, in, in real terms, three pieces of silverware uh, over the course of the last two years is because it's Jose Mourinho in charge, not because it's David Moyes or Louis van Gaal, a guy who has proven in the Premier League 
who's got so a who do you think then I'd look at the level of someone like Carlo Ancelotti as someone who'd come in and be steady. Okay. Trevor, I'm sure now. I'm sure he won't agree with that, and and that's absolutely fine because of, of his experience. Trevor was savaged but, by Carlo Ancelotti when a, when a toddler. <laughs> no, I like Carlo. Who yeah. doesn't like Carlo? Everyone yeah. likes Carlo. But, but I just think he that... would be the worst possible appointment for Arsenal at this point. Okay, the guy who will not introduce any of the urgency, any of the um, attention to detail any of the pressure that this dressing room needs, they need to be shaken out of their comfort zone, out of the apathy, so who out do you of the passivity that has that? infected this whole team. Who are they going to bring in to do that? I, I don't know. I think Arsenal will struggle. Because will it be someone from the Bundesliga? I don't see anyone who's available or who fits the bill for them. Um, look, a lot of clubs, including Bayern and uh, Dortmund, are look, have looked for manager and they couldn't find anyone. There isn't exactly a surplus of top names out there I think if you're Arsenal you need somebody much more proactive dynamic than Ancelotti who will just manage the team and will uh-huh. finish fourth but will not I think give any indications of going forward all right would, would you be happier view. with would you be happier with big Pat Vieira uh, no no if they're going down that route I'll go for Mikel Arteta if they're going down okay. the former the former player route um, right. I think that's too much of a gamble that, that's I, the I agree point I, was I think to. they should go for Diego Simeone if they don't get Simeone they should go for Mauricio Sarri and if they don't get him then panic a little bit which is probably exactly what will happen oh, right. I mean Simeone would be a fascinating well of course they'll be meeting a, with him appointment, on but to to go with that squad playing the way they have done to a Simeone team, mm. I think it's, it hard, shake to, it it's hard to think. It's, yeah, but it's hard to think that this is this team can actually play that way. My name, as if you didn't know, is James Horncastle, and although I keep my hair long, I like to keep my beard short. And when it comes to shaving, I insist on Cornerstone. Cornerstone takes all the hassle out of shaving. You'll never run out of blades again. Just let them know how often you shave, and they'll take care of the rest. Get ten pounds off your first order. And find out more about your perfect shave box at cornerstone.co.uk forward slash totally. PFA! Mo Salah won it. Kevin De Bruyne, that was some people's choice. If you were building a team from scratch, Ian Irving, which of these would you take as your first pick and why? Or, if it would be somebody else, tell us why. It would be Mo Salah out of the two. Okay. For me, he's... I understand the arguments for for De Bruyne, and I'm sure we'll we'll go through them after this. But it's an individual award, and the guy has arrived in England and been an absolute sensation and scored goals for fun, and is on course to break um, the Premier League goal scoring record playing from the wing. He deserves to be the Player of the Year, in my opinion. Daniel, uh, I'd have picked Kevin De Bruyne, and I think he's the biggest difference maker to the best team in the league. Some goal he scored against Swansea, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And But when I voiced that opinion yesterday, um, the main reply from Liverpool fans, and I was kind of expecting it, is that, yeah, well, look at the stats, look at the stats. And I think you're right. It's clearly been a sensational season. And in any other season, one of these two would have won it by a streak. Um, but De Bruyne isn't a stats player. De Bruyne is a moments player and a, you know, a feelings player. And he, he may, you ask any Manchester City player, and you'll know this well, more than I will, in, and they will all say... He is the person that makes our team tick. He is Pep's perfect disciple on the pitch. And for that, I think he's the difference maker. City did get a kind of little, what do you get, a statuette or something? Yeah, it's kind of like a big trophy thing for Leroy Sana, didn't they? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Increasingly scary looking Leroy Sana. In, just, in a good way. In a good oh, way. Oh, sorry, I thought oh. you didn't like his new no. hairstyle, but he just <laughs> well, slightly shaved it around his ears. But he's yeah. just ridiculous. He's going to be better than anybody at this rate. 
I mean, he's come on hugely this season. Already last year, you could see that his decision-making was getting a lot better, that he was um, timing his runs, uh, taking his chances, but he went to another level. I mean, this is what happens when you work in a functioning team. Um, everyone looks a little bit better. Everyone is influenced in a positive way by each other. They make the right decisions. They find each other. It's almost kind of telepathic, the understanding. The question is so far, you know, why hasn't he reproduced that for Germany just yet? Uh, where Löw is a little bit circumspect about him, but I think that is just another sign just how good the City team are playing, mm. that they make everyone appear like superstars. Yeah, they didn't make Swansea appear like superstars when they hammered them 5-0 no. on a game, which also featured uh, a return from Mendy. Mm. He, he's mendied, if you will, after that long <laughs> if, if you will. injury problem. Yes. If yeah. you will. Um, now, that was... That was, as I say, defeat for Swansea, mm -hmm. who, Daniel, you're willing to suggest could be the one wild card in the relegation picture, which most people are saying is now already sorted. Remember, West Brom very much out of the picture, uh, despite still being unbeaten under Darren Moore. Four points between Saints and Stoke to Swansea, who are just above the dotted line, Stoke having played one game more. Is it over or not? Well, the only reason it isn't over is I think that Southampton will beat Bournemouth at home next uh, weekend. which really? Well... Bournemouth have very little to play for now. Um, and if Southampton are going to be up for any game, it should be a South Coast derby at home to it, at home in a game that could you know, give them a chance of staying up. And then they go to Swansea the week after. So although they are in no form away from home, I think the only team they've beaten away from home since September is West Brom, Alan right. Pardew's West Brom. Whereas Swansea at home, I feel, have done yeah. some pretty good things against the likes of Liverpool. Of course, but if you're Southampton, you want to make it um, and us against them, six-pointer scenario, because yeah. that's the way of making it feel like a one-off you know, cup final game, and that's the only way they're going to stay up. Right. Uh, I don't think they'll do it, but it's far from over. I think Everton might have a say in this as well, because they've got to play um, Southampton and Huddersfield. Now, Huddersfield has got some very tough fixtures aside from that Everton game, which it depends what Everton turns up, I suppose, in that match, and it's at Huddersfield as well. But they're on 35 points. Southampton were to win two matches they'd, they'd be above them in the table and the goal difference is, is better as well yeah so I don't think, think they're would win two matches yeah of course <laughs> but you know we're at that stage of the season where yeah. forget that you've only won five games all year and just focus on the fact that you've got to win maybe two maybe three of your remaining games and Southampton results wise it's not improved drastically but you sort of get the sense in certain moments in matches some of the the goals that they've they've produced not so much the ones they've let in but that they that they could have something there and every single person that I've heard speak about the situation at Southampton on and off the record has said that it's been so much more positive under Mark Hughes. Maybe that maybe that's a, a statement on the old manager, possibly, <laughs> but you do get that sense that there is something there that may be able to to keep them up. That said, I still think they're the favourites to go down. I'll tell you who won't be playing in the Championship next year, and that's Wolves, of course, who'd confirmed their promotion uh, last week, but are now confirmed as champions. Sunderland won't be playing in the Championship either because they've now got relegated to the third tier. This is a club, Daniel, with the third highest net debt in Europe. They've they've got more debt than Paris Saint-Germain and they're going to be in the third tier. Yeah, there's an interesting quote from Chris Coleman beginning of last week where he, he, he was asked, um, you know, rough translation was what does Sunderland do now what do you do now what does Sunderland do now to go from here and he he just said whatever we've done in the last three years let's do the complete opposite um it's, it's got the situation where that kind of honesty is all they've got left how much danger are they in though 
I don't think that they will go bust just because I think very, very few football clubs do go bust these days, um, unless they are non-league. I think what generally well, happens... they're not that far off now. I mean, they're heading that way. Yeah, but next season they will. They only need to keep a few few players and they will be the third or fourth best team in League One. Um, they won't go down again next season. All it will take is Ellis Short swallowing his pride and accepting a derisory bid um, because he might as well and get out of you know get out of town. And they will quite quickly bob again, I think. Mm. Um, I'm not quite as... You know, the recent history is an absolute mess. I've not, you know, there's no arguing that. But I'm not as despondent on the future, on the future of the club immediately as, as some are. OK. In other promotion relegation news, Wigan are back up in the Championship after a season in League One. AFC Wimbledon have stayed up in League One. MK Dons have gone down. Is that the first time that AFC will be a division above yes. MK Dons? Yes, it is. And they've also MK Dons have also sacked the, the Dan Michici, their relatively new manager, um, who was who was a brave appointment coming from I think the England under sixteen team. Hmm. Um, he's basically lasted two months, and some of the fans are pretty unhappy about the treatment. Okay, we'll have more of all this kind of thing on the Totally Football League show with Ian McIntosh. That'll be up Tuesday afternoon. But one other thing in the National League, of course, Macclesfield, who were 25-1 to 1 to win the title at the start of the season, continued their extraordinary form this season under John Askey, who's one of the few managers, I think, in football anyway, who's actually got one of the, the stands at his home ground named after him. Uh, basically, they won 2-0 at Eastleigh and clinched the title this weekend. In the National League North, one division below... Have you heard the story of Gainsborough Trinity? I have, yeah. <laughs> Tell us about it then. I have. Oh, okay. Basically, <laughs> it's it's pretty extraordinary. They have had a 145-year record, which got broken this weekend. How? They have never been either promoted or relegated. They have been in what is now called the Northern Premier in their entire existence since, well, 145 years ago. Although, to be fair, I believe that they didn't actually have relegation or promotion from that division until that 31 years well, ago. Why let the facts get but in the way But 31 years, it's still a long time. Yeah. Anyway, they got relegated, poor things. Mm. Anyway, all uh, right. Games for Trinity are... They're like the Hamburg of... What division are they? <laughs> no, uh, the Northern... Uh, National League North. Yeah. 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 They uh, are one of only three clubs in England's top seven tiers with Arsenal to have not gotten away point in 2018. Is that right? Yeah. Them, Tamworth and Gainsborough Trinity. Listeners, if you want to combine your knowledge of the footy with your knowledge of the footsie, then you need to get yourself over to the Football Stock Market Football Index. Football Index is a new way to profit from your knowledge of the Premier League, League One, Serie A, La Liga and beyond. Buy and sell players, build a portfolio, earn dividends and sell at a profit. Because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can try Football Index and trade up to £1,000 entirely risk-free. Just head to footballindex.co.uk, enter the promo code TOTALLY, and if you don't love Football Index, you'll get a full refund with their seven-day money-back guarantee. Download the app or play online at footballindex.co.uk and become a football trader today. T's and C's apply, you must be over 18, deposit required, and please trade responsibly. Do you know, there's loads of other things we could talk about. Yeah. We could talk about Let's. Milan losing against 10-man Benevento. Nah. But we're not going to because that's that's Galazzo stuff. We could talk about Burnley. No, not going to talk about Burnley. <laughs> I, I spent nearly all of last week in Burnley. Go on, give us what was the biggest like enough, doesn't it? What was the biggest thing you took what from that? What is the secret? Can you tell us what the sausages. secret is? Sausages. So there's Hayes Family Butchers, okay. which is in the shadow of Turf Moor, uh-huh. who brought out some Proudsville 
sausages mm-hmm. when uh, when Sean Dyche said a few months ago that he was the proudest man in Proudsville at, at oh, Burnley's yeah. form, and they are superb. I had them for breakfast uh, on Saturday. Absolutely phenomenal they sausages. Any stickers, have they? No. Well, they might send you some sausages, sausages now. <laughs> well, they're very brilliant pork to. pies as well. Fantastic. But that's not really the secret <laughs> of Burnley's success, is it? More just an opportunity for you to give a bit of a puff for well, these fine sausage. What's their name again? Hayes. Hayes Family Butchers. Hayes Family Butchers. We're phenomenal at Jazz pork FM. pies. <laughs> Look us up. Uh, in France, wow, that battle for second is really heating up. Marseille are now only one point behind Monaco. Marseille beat Lille 5-1, while Monaco got done 3-1 by Gangon. They've now conceded 10 goals in the last two games. Also in that mix are Lyon. Marseille, of course, will be taking on Salzburg on Thursday night. That's going to be a big one. But I think we should finish off with another part of our footballing lives. Almost the identity of the sport as we know it that's making way, that's, that's making his way, and it's Andres Iniesta. And it wasn't just polite applause a la Wenger as he bowed out from, well, at least from the Copa del Rey with that taken off early by uh, Valverde uh, as uh, Barca cruised to a 5-0 hammering of Sevilla in the, in the final this weekend. But uh, it was all about Iniesta, a great goal he scored as well. He's just a phenomenal footballer, isn't he? And he has been for such a long time. I mean, I've, I've, I, he's still, for me, part of one of the key parts, if not the key part, along with Lionel Messi, of the greatest football team I've ever seen play. Well, who's left of that generation? Busquets is still there. Lionel and Messi, Piquet. Piquet, I suppose, yeah. At Barca, but who, I presume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But who's okay? So, but who's coming through? Because he had what seemed like a conveyor belt of talent at the time, but. Last four years or so? Yeah, it's gone a little bit sluggish. There was the, um, I think it was their last midweek league game. There was that stat that it was the first Barcelona team that hadn't contained a La Masia graduate for X number of years, really? which at least hints that um, they are now having to buy their um, next generation rather than produce it, which is a real shame. That um, happens though, doesn't it? it? It goes through sort of those yeah, type cycles, of patterns, yeah. doesn't it, in cycles, yeah. But I, Iniesta, I, I remember Michael Carrick, I think it was, and Ferguson had said sort of similar, that, that he was just part of a midfield, that when you played against him, it was just like being on a carousel. You just got literally swirled and swirled and swirled. Xavi, Busquets, Iniesta, Messi would drop in. David Villa, when he was playing off the wing, would, would get involved. And I, I just think they were, a, they were a phenomenal football team and Iniesta was such a key part of that with Xavi as well. Mm. Is That's what happens when you play four midfielders <laughs> against a side twice. True. For me, there is a, a slight sense of disappointment that he's leaving for a another club rather than as with Xavi, he's not been sated enough by football that he feels like he needs to go somewhere else and earn a lot more money. It seems I know that's a very old man shout. He at might Klaus just win the say. lottery there. It's very like true. Xavi did. It's very true. It's an easy lottery to win when you've got every single one of the tickets. <laughs> well, plenty of newspapers. In fact, all the Spanish press last weekend: the last emperor, Iniesta, don't go. All this kind of thing. All right, well, Iniesta makes way in emotional scenes as he left the field at the Wanda Metropolitana. This is what it sounded like on Sky. Well, stop whatever you're doing. Oh, stand up and sing off a legend. Would you not let him stay on the For the final time, one of the greats has played his final cup final. Even the severe supporters, especially the severe supporters, see off one of the all-time greats, possibly the greatest midfield player in the modern era. And how he's gone off 
signing off with the fourth goal in the final. Yeah, no, you've got something in your eye, Daniel Story. Anyway, having chatted about all the football, time to get the odds. From Paddy Power with producer Ben. Thank you, Jimbo. I'm here with Lee Price from Paddy Power. And Lee, let's talk about the Arsenal. We did a special programme on Friday after Wenger's news that he will be stepping down from the Arsenal at the end of the season. He had his last London derby, a 4-1 win. Can you tell me, please, the markets about who is favourite to take over there? This market has been more up and down than Wenger's last few years at Arsenal. Uh, Brendan Rodgers was the favourite, briefly, but he let that title slip. Not a first for him. The current favourite is Joachim Love at 3-1, to one, uh, but this market is all over the place. And what about Wenger himself? What are you offering on his next job? So we think his next managerial job is most likely to be an emotional return to Monaco. That's the 5-1 to one favourite in that market. Or if you're feeling mischievous, you can get 33-1 to one that he'll return at Arsenal next season, which would at least keep the Arsenal fan TV lads in work. Well, I don't know if Darren Moore is on your list of people who can take over at the Emirates, but he's doing very, very well at West Brom. Unfortunately, it's too little too late. Um, is he going to take over full time at the Hawthorns? He's not. He has done the impossible and inspired some decent performances and results at West Brom. It's almost as if Alan Pardew wasn't a particularly likeable boss. Weird. Uh, Darren Moore has come in in the odds to 5-1, to one, which is good going, but he's not the favourite. The favourite is Mick McCarthy at 11-8, to eight, and he's been the favourite for weeks now, so that looks pretty sure. All right, let's move on to the FA Cup. It's going to be a final between Chelsea and Man U. Do you have a favourite for that? Oh, yeah, it's the fitting finale for Conte's time in England. Going to battle with his old mate, Jose Mourinho. This is going to get sassy and I can't wait. We make United slight favourites at 8-11. Chelsea are evens and pre-match mind games an absolute certainty. And this week, we're all about the Champions League semi-finals. Can you give us the markets? What's going on there? Yeah, we naturally favour the home teams uh, in each of the first legs. So Liverpool are odds-on to win at Anfield and even shorter price to reach the final. Uh, the other semi, on the other hand, looks almost uncallable. On one hand, we make Bayern odds-on favourites to win the match in Germany, but Real Madrid are odds-on to reach the final. Uh, as for that game, both Liverpool and Real are 2-1 to one to win the giant trophy, although we do know what happened last time Klopp's men met a Spanish opposition in a European final. You can find out all these odds and more at paddypower.com. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Ian Irving, so glad you could make it today. Thank you, You're going to be joining us again soon before we wrap up this season? Uh, next week, I think. Ah, yeah. how about that? Yeah. Like bosses. Exactly. Very much. <laughs> uh, Daniel Story, lovely to see you too. Thank you very much. And you, Mr. Honigstein. Honigstein. Yeah. We couldn't afford the umlaut. Oh. All right. Well, nowadays Is that news to you after 20 years of knowing me? No, I just didn't know why. Right. But you could buy one now, surely. Yeah, yeah. You, could, you could upgrade your, your family. Uh, super. Lovely to see you. Look forward to seeing you soon. And you, listener, we'll catch up with you Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday here at Totally. So have fun in the meanwhile. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Listeners, around 97% of those of you who tune into the Totally Football Show are male. But despite being more likely to be diagnosed with cancer than women, men are much less likely to ask for help, even when they need it. And that's why we've teamed up with Macmillan Cancer Support to try and put that right. Cancer can affect you emotionally as well as physically. It can affect your relationships, your work and your confidence. So it's vital to seek support. Talking is an important part of dealing with cancer 
And Macmillan wants to make men with cancer of whatever sort more aware of this so they can be honest and open with their family and loved ones. For more information or to find support, visit macmillan.org.uk. That's M-A-C-M-I-L-L-A-N.org.uk.